Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by the Andersons. I'm Michaela Pockner, Managing Editor at No-Till Farmer. In today's episode of the podcast, Brian Schroeder with National Land Realty talks about 2023 land value trends and what needs to happen for no-till and other conservation practices to influence dollar value of land. Ryan Schroeder with National Land Realty. Been with National Land since uh, our previous company, uh, Land Pros, merged with National Land back in 2014 or 15. I got my real estate license when I was a senior in college in 97, and then I uh, got my broker's license in 2002. And so the past 20 years is basically what I've focused on is farm, ranch, and recreational uh, real estate. So that's kind of my background. And, and plus, you know, um, my brother and my dad, they still farm in Northeast Nebraska. So I get the pleasure of helping them kind of when they're, when they get behind. Always good to have an extra set of hands at the busy times of season for sure. That it is. And that's usually when I get called is, you know, harvest, especially have to run the, the, run the grain cart for them. And then planting, you know, it just sometimes if you have a wet spring, they get behind and they might have to rent an extra planter. And then uh, they usually call me up and say, hey, we need to run this for a couple of days. And, and I'm more than happy to because, hey, you know, you get back to the roots and that's always fun playing with the big boy toys, it seems like. Yeah, for sure. So today we're talking about farmland values. And I'm hoping you can kind of set the stage for us by starting out by talking about what trends you're seeing in farmland values. Uh, across the board in 2023? And the trends lately here in the 2023, I mean, everything has been fairly stable, um, even with the increase of the input costs, fertilizer, uh, interest rates going up, there's still a lot of cash out there. Um, it's, you know, and as far as like the land values themselves, they've hold, they've been stable and even slightly increased. Your higher quality soil farms, they will always retain their value. So talking about that uh, higher quality soil, um, how does the value of no-till farmland specifically compare to farmland as a whole in 2023? Well, I think with your higher quality soils, your no-till is just a common practice on those. That will hold your nutrients in the ground, less soil compaction. And, uh, you know, it just it would they just hold their value better and there's less work that needs to be done to the higher quality soil. Um, and that's that's how and why a no till practice is fairly common in, in those areas. So when you're uh, valuing land, how do you factor no till into that, knowing that those no till soils are higher quality and will produce better? and We'll just keep improving. It's really going to depend on your region, where you're at. When I am looking at a farm, I try not to get further than a um, further than a 10 mile radius from your subject property that you're trying to evaluate. Because if you get out a little further than that, then there might be a different soil makeup on your, your sales that you're looking at versus your, your subject property. You know, in a perfect world, you, you want to find that sale that has the same soil as your subject property, but that never happens. So you just kind of make a little adjustments here or there. 
And obviously you want to compare apples to apples, you know, dry land to dry land, irrigated to irrigated, um, hill ground to hill ground, you know, bottom ground to bottom ground. Most of the time you do have to go outside that 10 mile radius, or you're going to have to pull some sails from the hills if you're doing something on the bottoms. So I don't want to say there's an exact science to it, but there's, there's also, um, there's also just sitting down and trying to compare apples to apples, not oranges to apples. Sure, sure. So when you're looking at, let's say it's a no-till field and then a conventional tillage field, both within that 10-mile radius, are you able to assign a certain dollar value to the no-till field, like above the conventional tillage one, knowing that it is no-till? You usually don't want to do that because, for instance, just north of me, we have a lot of bottom ground. They have to till that because if they don't, that that is going to be a much, it's going to be, their compaction is going to be really, really high when it comes to spring planting. It'll be almost impossible to get into that field. But that's that soil makeup. You have to do that on the bottoms where if you go up in the hills, you know, it's no-till. So they're really, and the soil is going to be different up in the hills, obviously, than the in the bottoms. And in, in my opinion, there's just really no comparison. I mean, you can kind of look at it and, and within your analysis of the subject property, you may want to mention, you know, mention the two and the difference between the two and and, and that, hey, there is a sale right here, but it, but it's a different soil makeup, but this is a sale price of it. You know, it'll have some weight, but it won't have a whole lot of weight when it comes to valuating the subject property. Okay. So then as it stands right now, what factors into your valuation? And can you kind of walk me through what that process looks like for you? Well, as we kind of discussed before is, you know, you have your subject property, you locate that one and you try to make a, a 10 mile radius ring around it. And then you go to the market of okay what have sold in that area and i usually don't like to go past 12 months any sales older than 12 months i kind of like to kick out but if there is one you know right across the fence and let's it, say it's 18 months old you want to make mention of it and, and you know and maybe have a time adjustment on that older one because here you know gosh in the last last 12 months our market has changed and you know you might have to add a 10% increase in value just for a time adjustment. So once, once we gather all that information, we have our subject property, we have in a perfect world, five, six sales to compare it to. Then we look at the soils, we look at the improvements, we look at the drainage, we look at uh, if it has any tiling, and then we make positive and negative adjustments to the, the sales themselves to compare them to our subject property. And that is roughly a... Uh, 30 second version of, of how you want to evaluate a farm. So another thing I wanted to ask about too, was a lot of our no-tillers are considering participating in carbon markets and getting payments for sequestering carbon. Is that something that would potentially factor into a land valuation? It can in the future. That carbon uh, market is slowly developing. From my understanding in the past, is it seemed like the no-till farmers were not getting credit of what they have been doing in the past. And now that carbon market is, is slowly seeing that and catching on and saying, hey, these farmers here, they've been doing this the whole time. So let's give them the credit and, and not change their practice. 
So that is coming in the future. They don't quite have it all figured out, but um, yes, when and if uh, that does become kind of a common practice, and then there, there's more and more uh, no-till farmers that are on board and getting carbon credits, then yes, the, the that will change the valuation probably for the good. Yeah, one would think so. And I know that's the, the concern that we hear a lot from those long-term no-tillers. It's like, why am I not being rewarded for decades of doing this when somebody could switch for a year and then go back to tilling or something like that? 100%. I hope they do, you know, change that and, and make it for the for the better for the farmers, because that will be a good asset for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, this kind of relates to that. But um, what needs to happen so that appraisers are considering conservation ag practices in appraisals going forward? Well, going forward, as we just discussed with the carbon credits, that has to be a common practice within the the culture or the region that you are doing your appraisal in uh as soon as that 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 becomes a common practice then they can incorporate that for instance let's say i'm appraising a farm and one of my sales is right on the edge of town and it was sold a thousand dollars per acre higher than all my other sales well it was sold as transitional ground or development ground that sales i'm going to kick that sale out because it really doesn't compare to something that is outside of the utility area and was not going to be developed, you know, within the next 20 years. And, and so with that being said, it's going to be kind of the same thing with a carbon. Let's say only one of my sales have got a carbon credit on it and that increased the value on it. But all the, you know, the other five sales that I'm, I'm looking at do not, that sale is going to be kicked out because it's kind of an outlier. Uh, and I'm going to focus on the other ones. Um, in the appraisal in industry, you don't dare use the word average because that's that's really a four letter word in the appraisal industry. But, um, you know, if that is an outlier that's higher, it's, it's going to probably get kicked out. You're probably going to make a mention to it, but yet you're not going to put a whole lot of weight on that valuation on that one sale that only has the carbon credit on it. Okay, that makes sense. Does it have to be a certain percentage? Like, let's say with the carbon credit thing, like a certain percentage of uh, sales in that uh, area are that, that you would be able to kind of use it as a benchmark? You know, I can't sit here and say, well, 75% of your sales have got to have a carbon credit on it. You know, if if your subject property that you are appraising has a carbon credit on it, well, then guess what? All your sales or a majority of your sales that you're comparing against your subject property, they better have a carbon credit on it too. Um you know, so so in reverse, that's that would be a hard appraisal assignment if you're appraising a farm that does have a carbon credit and it's one of the first ones in the area and there's not there's no other sales there that have them. That's going to be a very tough appraisal. Uh, so so once again, it back to my previous statement, it's got to be pretty common in that area uh, to kind of really affect the values. Um, so so usually the first one to the table that those are going to be the tough ones to appraise. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, The Andersons. A thoughtful, well-designed nutrient management program is essential to maximize crop productivity. Providing the right nutrients at the right time throughout the growing season is key to achieving high yields. 
The Anderson's high yield programs make it easy to plan season-long nutrient programs for corn, soybeans, wheat, and many specialty crops. Visit andersonsplantnutrient.com slash high yield to get instant recommendations to improve your nutrient efficiency and yields. Now let's get back to the conversation. Let's say that we get to a point where it's common practice, people are no-tilling. Um, so what would, in your opinion, a benchmark or standard look like, or would there be a benchmark or standard to use, uh, like to value no-till higher than conservational tillage? That's going to be tough to abstract, uh, uh, abstract that from the marketplace because, you know, just kind of like the previous example that I give, you know, your bottom ground, that's kind of a, a, a lower soil quality than the hill grounds can be a higher soil. You know, those two are going to have different values. And, and it's just because, you know, in the hills, it's going to be common practice for no till in the, in the bottoms, you're going to have that tillage. Um, but you just have to do that because that's the way the soils are. Um, so to sit there and say, can I abstract a value, you know, no-till versus tillage, that's going to be tough to do. That's going to be real honestly tough to do. Okay. We had a researcher at the National No-Tillage Conference. He spoke about a study that he did that found that simply having no-till acres in the same county increased all of the land values of the county, regardless of tillage or no-tillage. Um, so just curious of if that's something that you've seen um, in your experience and where you're working? You know, I'd agree with him because I think that raises the standards on everything. And the other part of it, too, that I was thinking of, too, as far as no-till and values for no-till, I mean, that is one less pass that a farmer has to do. Less time, less wear and tear on the, on the equipment, less diesel to use. So in, in that aspect of things, I mean, your bottom line on your farm should go up. So that's, you know, yeah, I'd agree with his with his statement. Okay. Um, so talking about the general trends that you're seeing for 2023, going back to that, uh, what do those trends mean for a no-tiller who's renting land? How is that going to affect them? Well, um, you know, I think your cost with everything is going up. I mean... And that includes probably rent. So it just depends on as long as the commodity market stays strong as it is right now, you know, the rent's going to go up. Uh, dollar per acre is going up. Uh, gosh, even the taxes are going up and your input. So I think just like everything else, I mean, everything's going up. Gotta hate to say that for the for the renters, but you know, that's kind of what I'm, you know, if you're reading between the lines, it's kind of what I see. Mm-hmm. Kind of on the flip side of that, what about for those no-tillers who are no-tilling lands that they owned? What do these trends mean for them? Same thing with everything else. I mean, the valuation has gone up. Uh, you know, land. You know, land is in demand. You know, it's always the 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 prices have been going up steadily. You know, if if he's an owner, you know, you should look at uh, look at what the average is because the average over um statewide i think in comparison to nebraska statewide i think it went up 14 percent in uh the whole year of 2022 wow uh so those are all of my questions was there anything else you wanted to mention that we haven't talked about march 1st like 
like uh, so University of Nebraska and um, Realtors Land Institute for Iowa, they will release it the first part of March, typically in, in 2023. But it is a survey and, and everything compiled together uh, from the previous year of 2022. Like here, I'll show you. So right here is what I had popped up is so this is part of the University oh, of Nebraska. Okay. And then like this, it covers it, you know, by region, like here, north, northeast. I'm located right here in the east, but our family farm is right here. And I mean, you can see the change of irrigated in the northeast, you know, and dry land and, and all this other stuff. And then once you get, uh, there's even a cash rent survey on here too. That's land values. And, and you know, and the other thing too is like you can look at, like here, I always have this custom rates. Uh, so, so let's say, you know, so if you wanted to disc something, you know, per acre, it's anywhere from $17 to $20. You know, so if I had to hire somebody $20 an acre to have them come in there and disc it up. So you can also reference that if you wanted to, because, you know, like when I was saying, you know, that's that's less wear and tear, that's less pass, you know, that could save someone $20 an acre. But if you want to get into the return on the farm, you know, um, is $20 an acre really going to move the needle on on, on the valuation and in the in the return on your investment? You know, not really. Not when the taxes may be, you know, $50, $70 an acre. You know, here's a picture of, you know, my I think this is my dad running this combine. That's a nice shot. I got some good drone shots over the years. Oh, cool. Do you guys have a drone? Yeah, I do. I use it for oh, work. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I uh, yeah, I imagine that's a very useful tool for you. Well, and that's and that's the one thing is like if you look at if you go to nationalland.com and you look at our listings, we have this tool, it's called uh Land Tour 360. So you imagine the property, you have the drone up about 300 feet and you can move it around and zoom in and zoom out. Um, so it's a very useful tool in our industry. It's kind of like we say, you know, you can get boots on the ground without getting your boots dirty. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, drone work in this industry is is big. Are your buyers mostly local or are you getting a lot of people who just see the drone stuff and are like, yes, I want to invest in that? When you mean local, do you mean within that county or do you mean within that state? Within a state, yes. Um, you know, it, once you get outside of the, once you get outside of the, um, the county, you know, there, there may be some investors kind of from, from Lincoln and Omaha coming in and buying stuff, but, but within the county, you know, I, I would say, oh, yeah, it, within the state, yes, you know, 90% of it is, is probably local. But within the county, then you might you might even go almost 50-50. Okay. So because we've got guys that are looking for land for just an investment, land that that you know maybe they can hunt on or just just have it for recreational, you know, and, and they're just looking to place because now as you're seeing kind of the, the stock market dip a little bit, that's when I'll see a lot of the investors they'll pull their money out. They're like, hey. I'm going to go buy a million dollar farm. I just want to put my money there because it's everything is I'm losing money now, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, it just kind of, it's sometimes it is, is a, is a shift. Interesting. 
hearing some of the concerns about the Silicon Valley Bank failing and how that's impacting us. Are you seeing more outside investors who are just trying to put their uh, money into something physical? You know, that that happens every year. We'll, we'll do that. But we had a little dip in, in the market and that kind of increased a little bit of value. But now the market's stabilizing and maybe going up after that bank failure. Um, there wasn't a big rush after that 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 Silicon Bank failure, but um, gosh, when was that? In nine and ten, when when a lot of that stuff was um, when the residential stuff was going down, all those banks were going down. I mean, there was there was a lot of people pulling their money out because the stock market was going down. There's a lot of people money pull, pulling their money out and, and buying land. Oh, it's very interesting. It is. It's it is a very fun industry to be in, uh, to be totally honest with you. And that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, I started with re real estate and, you know, I always had plan B. I could always go back to the family farm if, if need be. But for I, I was one of the lucky ones and real estate paid off. Yeah, for sure. And you get to still do some farming stuff. So that's yep. pretty cool, too. Yeah, that's fun. And, you know, and that, that really does help me with my industry, too. It gives me some credibility. You know, I'm just not some city boy that's that's trying to be out here and sell land. It's like, hey, I do have some ties back to the land. Thanks to Ryan Schroeder for today's conversation. A full transcript and video of this episode are available at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. In the video version, you can see maps from the University of Nebraska and the Iowa chapter of Realtors Land Institute that were referenced in this episode and that great combine drone shot that Ryan showed me. Many thanks to the Andersons for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. From all of us here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Michaela Pogner. Thanks for listening.